Allow me to lace these lyrical douches in your bushes. Uh, Who rock grooves and make moves with all the mommies? The, the back, back of the club, sipping my wet is where you're Yeah, fine. my people. Welcome back to the Rotobond Podcast. Pete Davidson here. Really feels good to be back behind the mic. Uh, my apologies uh, for the brief hiatus. I uh, haven't seen you guys since we had Silva on the pod. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. We've got Rich Rebar today. Uh, 90 minutes of Lord Reeb's goodness. Sit back and enjoy it. Um, uh, again, sorry for my hiatus. We got whacked by a storm here. We didn't have power for almost a week. No net. Uh, we didn't have cell cell access for like three or four days it was just epic cooking all of our meals on a grill uh no power it was hot man i it was so bad but anyway it's so nice to be up and running again missed you guys hopefully you missed me too um uh, there's a lot of content coming up. We've got the quarterbacks, the running backs, uh, the tight ends. The rankings for those are all up. I'm going to have receivers up, I think, within the next 24 hours. As soon as I complete the receivers, I'll be dropping podcasts on each position group. I will drop those podcasts into the ranking article, articles Excuse me, to keep everything in one place. Uh, everything's happening. Once I get all that done, uh, we'll start working on the Rotobond 500. That could be up as early as Friday night. I'm thinking probably Sunday morning is when it's going to land. We'll see on that. Uh, but we're catching up. We're going to get you guys ready for these drafts. I know we've all got them coming up in the next couple weeks. Um, and hey, it's nice to know that it looks like we're going to have some kind of football season. Uh, who knows what it's going to be, but it looks like it's going to at least be something. Uh, anyway, with all that said, uh, kick back and enjoy this 90-minute conversation with the great Lord Reeves. Okay, good people of Rotobahn. At this time, I would like to welcome back a friend of the podcast for his uh, third trip around the Rotobahn course. Rich Rebar, welcome back to the show, Rich. How you doing? Doing real good, Pete. Man, I hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, you know, out there in them streets, everyone's you know still masking up. But uh, you know, we we've had a nice little bit of normalcy here. You know, the past week with you know NFL, you know, padded practices opening up and, and the media starting to release videos. It feels like an old June uh, of guys catching you know practice touchdowns and you know running through players that aren't really trying to tackle them uh but you know hey we'll take it we'll take whatever we can get uh, to feel a little bit of that normalcy even though we're just three weeks out from actually you know that first game going to happen here uh for week one of the season yeah you gotta love it when power running backs are running in non-contact drills and uh <laughs> their adp is like jumping up every step they take it's uh it's like officially August. It feels good. You know, um, I used to work for Roto World, uh, you know, for a number of years. You know, the you know the, yeah. the blurb capital, and uh, you know, I always try to caution people too for my days of working there. I mean, the things you want to focus on. Uh, and you know, don't blame Roto World for like the blurbs that are more opinion based either. They're just they're putting out the the stuff that they get. But you know, you definitely want to focus on things that are more actual reporting and not you know just rooted in opinion. Like this guy, I believe this guy can catch sixty passes, or this guy can have a thousand yards, or this guy looks good, or this guy looks bad. You want to look for those actual reporting nuggets. You know where guys are being used, like Bryce Love today getting reps with the first team with you know Adrian Peterson. That's kind of that's something we want to earmark. We want to keep those are the Absolutely. that's the information you want to follow. Um, outside of that opinion rooted, you know, more narrative based stuff, uh, you're looking for actual information. And unfortunately, we've seen stuff like the Packers where they basically are, aren't going to let their beat writers actually do any real reporting. So that's pretty great. Uh, hopefully that doesn't become a trend for every team. 
it sounded like they had firearms in practice or something. Yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Um, the Gestapo. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, oh by the way, before we get going here, um, Rich does a bunch of good stuff. His podcast, Pre-Stop Motion, with Chad Scott. He works at Sharp Football Analysis. All kinds of good stuff. Can people still get in early bird pricing? That kind of stuff. Yeah, early bird's still going on. Um, I do have over 100 free articles from this offseason on the site as well, if you want to even check out yeah, some work I've done. Too, Definitely you can check out enough free content as well. But uh, as we've gotten closer to the season, we have switched over to more you know stuff behind lock and key for the subscribers as we're doing a lot of draft prep and you know kind of sharing sure. the answers of the test a little bit. Uh, but there's lots of free content too out there for you as well to check out. But the early bird's still going on, probably through the start of the season here in week one, given, you know, the climate that we've had, you know, take place uh, this offseason. Nice. What's it like? I mean, you're a huge football brain, obviously. What's it like being around Warren Sharp, who's sort of like some type of oracle or something? I mean, that dude. <laughs> I mean, he, he puts it, and like X's yeah. and O's come out. It's crazy. Yeah. He, I mean, we, you know, cover things from a different angle, but we're built the similar from like a, like a grinding perspective. I mean, he's always just right. working and that's kind of how I am. We're always just working so we can cross-reference a lot of things. He's doing a lot of, you know, stuff that's more focused on the real NFL game and, you know, doing some stuff behind the scenes for teams where he's, you know, looking more at like personnel, success rates, you know, ways to attack teams. And I'm definitely doing that for like a fantasy sense, but just not as drilling down into that finite, you know, details. I, we don't have to quite get there, but uh, you know, it's nice getting a couple of little edges, you know, from him on some things that he's unearthed as well by taking those like really, really deep dives, uh, surgical deep dives that he does. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been nice, you know, trying to get, you know, open, open some doors and open my eyes to a couple of new things. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's good, good, good. Good working with him. Uh, it's cool stuff. I love. I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the, the yearly football preview, and this is the first year I had to sign up for a PDF version. And I have That's to say, Bezos' fault, man. This a lot of people always ask it. You know, they ask Warren particularly about the. It's Bezos. Amazon. Amazon ruined it, man. Is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, Amazon was uh, Amazon one wanted to charge more for the printed copy than you'd even right. even you know what Warren charged, then obviously they wanted to take a larger cut. Than they One ever of the had. biggest deals in fantasy football history was that book. Yeah. And they wanted to take a, a larger cut than years past too. So it was all, you know, Bezos didn't have enough money, man. What can you say? Well, you know, listen, I, he's never going to get to 200 billion if he doesn't get a little more out of the sharp book. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the sad thing is that like when I had the hardcover book, like I, I'll show you a picture. I still have it somewhere, but my hardcover from 2019 is no longer a book. It's just a pile of paper. I mean, I went through that thing so many times. Um, and because you know the beauty of it, you can take it. You can take it on vacation. You can take it. You know, when you're going to the doctor's office, you're taking the kid to the doctor's office. I walked around with that thing for like a week um, and just read it cover to cover twice. <laughs> but when with the um, with the PDF copy, you know. I don't think I even got through the whole thing just because, you know, I had to be at my computer. And if I'm at my computer, well, now I'm into my stuff, you know? So it was, it was unfortunate, but it's still, still, it was nice to have it. It was nice. It, it, it was a little bit more of a reference piece for me this year than like something I just digest, like, you know, crack. Well, well the one benefit of the, it being a PDF this year is there was no limitations. So we went like a hundred extra pages and put packed more information in. Yeah, and you can add stuff at the late at the last minute too, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can you know you can change stuff and yeah, a little more flexibility to do some of the things we wanted. We added a bunch more pages of the team content. Uh, but yeah, I mean I know a lot of people love that hard copy and getting it, but uh, yeah, listen, you gotta take it up with 
you got to take it up with Bezos. Look, look, that makes perfect sense. And look, it was COVID. <laughs> I was stuck indoors. I ran out of ink. Like if I had had plenty of ink, I would have just printed out the damn thing. Oh, but, but anyway, uh-huh. I, I would have. I'm, do, I'm analog, I man. <laughs> I do believe that there's going to be a black and white option available to where like they don't want to gouge the black and white copy, just a color copy. So I'm not 100% sure on that, but you might want to keep tabs on it. But it's, you know, it's a. It's just a bummer the way, you know, it's gone because obviously Amazon was used so heavily during this period of our country. Uh, everyone is yeah. getting enough sent to them. They're, they have to be making money hand over fist, uh, you know, for them, oh, they to are. Keep, for them to just keep, you know, jamming jamming it up on people is, uh, is a bummer. Well, you know, I think Bezos would say that's how I got there, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. And man. now they don't know how to stop. So anyway, man, so look. We only have a couple things we're going to go through here uh, today. First topic I wanted to get into um, was the tight ends. And just for kicks and giggles, I'm going to give you my top eight. And for me, things get sort of soft after my top eight. Now, I'm sure your take is going to be slightly different. But just real quick here, I'm Kelsey and Kittle sort of tied at the top spot. I have like Andrews and Ertz sort of tied for three and four, if you will. Then I'm Ingram, Waller, Hurst, and Hawkinson. After that, things are soft for me. Can you offer any words to help me sort of firm that up? Do you have any ideas in terms of the back end guys who you really like? You know, are you high on Jared Cook? Are you high on Hunter Henry in the new scheme paradigm quarterback situation? Do, do you feel good about lightweight Gronk and Arians offense with old man Tom throwing him the ball with other studs in the in the offing? Where where are you at? Yeah, tight end position is, is kind of fun this year. I mean, we don't have as many, you know, like like older tight end two types that we, we don't have to worry about. It's more younger based. So it's a, there's definitely a lot of more upside or, or upside, you know, perceived, a perceived upside. in a lot of these guys, we see more of through rose colored glasses on a lot of these players because they're younger and more athletic than they historically have been. So it feels like it's a little deeper. We know it probably won't play out that way because it never really does. But as a whole, tight ends had a little bit of a renaissance last year. I mean, they, you know, we didn't have, we only had it from a couple individual players from like a fantasy sense, but their overall targets, receptions, and touchdowns all you know went up last year from the year prior, and they collectively scored their most fantasy points in a season since 2015. Uh, the problem with you know tight ends in fantasy though is that we typically only get a couple guys that are productive, you know, from like a wire to wire group. And if you look at tight ends since 2012, uh, just 67% of all tight ends that have at least one tight end scoring week go on to have two or more scoring weeks and you compare it to the running back position it's 77 percent of running backs 78 percent of wide receivers 82 percent of quarterbacks and even if you just want to go just one bridge further just 20.9 percent of all those tight ends that we just talked about went on to have six or more starting caliber weeks in a season that's pretty rough so we're not getting so it's like really scattershot the guys that get into the tight end one mix not a lot of wire to wire performers. It we are actually, you know, I did a bunch of ADP series and like went back and like heat checked our how we good are we are setting the market, and we're really good at setting the top of the tight end market and the tight end right. one and tight end like tight end one through three. Like those guys have provided a positional edge, like almost on par from percentage based over their context of their field than the running back position does they don't score as many points as running backs but having a a top end tight end has provided a positional edge on that's comparable to the gap to the field that running back has so we've been good at setting the mark at the top those guys have provided a positional edge that's why you kind of seen you know it it, it, you know where are you willing to take on a kelsey kittle and where maybe even a mark andrews in that area or zach Ertz has been that guy 
that's been the tight end three the past three years. And then, you know, historically, we've just been terrible, though, that next gap in drafts. So once people miss out on that first wave of tight ends, there's almost like a panic induced. Like they, people are like, well, I don't have a tight end yet. I got to get one. But historically, chasing right. that next year of tight end has been like by far the biggest trap zone. Like getting in on that, being the guy that takes that tight end four, that tight end five, that tight end six, because you're worried about having to wait. But that those guys have had the least amount of players to match their draft cost, the least amount that hit for tight end ones, top six, top three tight ends, those high ceiling weeks, and they bust out at the highest rate, like guys that finish 12 or more spots below their ADP. So typically if you don't get a, a Kelsey, a Kittle or an Andrews, and if you want to wedge like Ertz and say it's a top four this year, I don't won't really push back um, on that. But historically you want to not be the guy that then forces that next wave to say like, oh, well, I can't miss out because – Waller or Ingram are like the only two guys I think that are like good. Like historically, that's been the trap spot, like feeling you need to chase there. But the tight end, like the lower tight end one spot's been amazing. Like those guys have hit at a higher rates. They've they've provided higher scoring seasons. They busted out at lower lower rates, uh, and that's like kind of the pocket you want to shop in. Like that's the aisle you want to be in. So I mean, everyone's tight end seven through twelve probably looks different this year, which is kind of fun given the landscape. Uh, because like you said, everyone's got the same four at the top, and then you probably someone's are working Waller and ingram in there and then it's that it's crapshoot it's all over the place uh you know where we have guys i mean i i personally like have been fine like with way that the season has followed so i do like hayden hurst a lot as well out of that group that you mentioned uh just high on his opportunity how about going from the the passing offensive through the least amount of passing in the NFL last year to the one that threw the most. Uh, he was good and efficient on the small opportunities. He had a lot of people say, well, Hayden Hurst isn't good because he couldn't beat out Mark Andrews. It's just that Mark Andrews is really good. That's my thing. Like Mark Andrews is just a better player and he's really good. That's not necessarily that Hayden Hurst is yeah. a bad player. It's just Mark Very Andrews different really players good. too. Yeah, absolutely. But I actually think that the 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 room, and I think it's probably the analyst side of it has has. I think it's made Tyler Higby's you know ADP like completely palatable to take a shot on whether he's an upside player or not. Because where he goes now in drafts, if the, the downside is I have to stream tight end, then I'm going to bucket with a lot of other teams in my league that are going to end up streaming tight ends. And the upside, the displayed upside that he showed is you know amongst being like a top five option at the position so i think that there's been enough like regression analysis into tyler higby that's moved because he goes like typically anywhere from tight end seven to tight end nine tight end ten and if you can get him more towards the bottom end of there i believe that that's completely palatable i mean um that offense you know, did make a shift uh, they did they did also anytime they trailed at the end of the season completely revert back to 11 personnel so that's something to keep in mind for a josh reynolds or a van jefferson if you like even right. those guys but you know higby also was a guy that had really crummy touchdown luck too over that stretch I mean, he got tackled at the one yard line on three of his catches as well he could have, he could have been even more bonkers over that stretch so i'm looking hey, um exactly I'm looking more bonkers yeah, so I'm looking at those two guys mostly in drafts. If I don't get in on Kelsey and Kittle um, or even in Andrews, I'm looking at Hurst and Higby and seeing if Higby is – if my room is that down on him, saying, well, I don't believe what happened the last five weeks. Uh, no way. But if I can get him around tight end 9, tight end 10, I feel like that's really palatable to the upside that he showed, and uh, I don't mind if he strikes out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got him at 11 and behind Hunter Henry. I could flip those two guys. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Hig. I mean, Hig, here's what I want to say on Higby. Let me just real quick. I think everything we saw was real. I think he is that player. The only question I have is, are the Rams going to feature him the same way they did? Do You know, is it possible that they like the other tight end that they have Everett just as much? I mean, I guess that's possible. Um, he is a 
sort of an exciting tight end with the ball in his hands and such. Um, but he's not the player that Higby is soup to nuts. You know, he doesn't block as well as Higby, at least not in my opinion. Um, right. So is there – the key seems to be the personnel packages on some level. Um, I, I, I mean, are you confident this guy's going to be getting this seven to eight kind of target load um, that he's going to probably be playing 80% plus snaps on most weeks? I mean – I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road for me. If somebody can convince me that he's going to be on the field, I, I definitely put him right there with, you know, Hurst, Hawkinson, Wall, right in that area. I'm really high on Hawkinson, so just you're going to have to tolerate that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I can live with that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I definitely think because of his blocking, he's going to be always involved. Like, it'll be always be when they go 12, that's when Everett will get his snaps. Um, right. they and they like to throw off of those blocking looks sometimes. So that's yeah. like a I mean, when you look at week one, too, remember coming into last season, Higby got the contract extension coming into last season. And in week right. one, he had a huge snap advantage on Everett and scored a touchdown. And then two weeks later, he punctured his lung. And then, and right. then that's when Everett took off was when – and Everett played right. really well over that stretch, too. Absolutely. Um, and, and they're different kinds of players. But uh, but then immediately when Everett came back, it was like he was back on the back seat and it was, you know, Higby kind of ran away with that job again, was more effective. Um, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of outcomes that could play out. I feel like it's not just a, you know, the Rams are going to be a 12 personnel team. I think there's a lot of volatility into that take of it that's been yeah. kind of going around. Uh, like I said, I mean, anytime weeks 11 through 17 they trailed, um, they went to 11 personnel, 85% of those snaps. They were right back to an 11 personnel team when they when it was like, oh, we're throwing. Uh, so, I mean, that's why I, I mean, that's why I like taking Josh Reynolds at the end of the drafts. And then if you, well, like I said, if you're more, if you're more of a Van Jefferson guy, that's fine too. If you think, I think he's probably has a longer road. I think he's more of a, a long-term like Cooper Cup replacement. But if Josh Reynolds falters, like they could easily just elevate him and play him. Um, but, definitely. But there's but definitely I, a way you can do that. I mean, to, for me, you hit it right when you said, you know, if if my if my league is going to let Higby fall a little, then I'm going to jump. That that's pretty much where I'm at on him as well, and that's right. where I'm at with most most of these guys. Like, you know, I mean, Hunter Henry worries me, but if people are going to let him slip to like the last starting tight end on the board, yeah, I'll go Hunter Henry. I mean, I, I'm maybe not thrilled about it, but um, he's 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 a good player, and I'm not spending a lot. So, and and as and you know, as we're about to get into. The one thing about tight ends this year, and maybe it's the best reason, the best argument not to spend heavy, particularly, like you said, once the guys that we really, really, really want are no longer available. When you get into these, I, I don't know what we should call them, these, let's call them 50-50 guys. The good the good side of that 50-50 is really good, right? Like, if Noah Fant hits, he could hit big. You know, if Mike Gusecki hits, he could hit pretty big. Janu Smith. I don't know if he's going to hit, but conceivably he could be pretty big time. You know, I think Chris Herndon on the Jets, who I have no faith that the Jets will do the right thing with this player. But if they do, if he's playing 80, 90 percent of the snaps, you know, I know Sam Darnold looks for him. I know I've watched enough film to know it. So, you know, a lot of these guys have a lot of potential promise. I haven't even mentioned like Dallas Goddard or Sternberger or Ebron or, you know, uh, you know, Irv Smith. Uh, I mean, these are really talented guys. So this could be a year where you manage your initial investment and then look to play the rebound on some of these guys and pick up a guy who ends up being just as good as the guys get that got drafted at seven, eight, nine. 
Yeah, you shouldn't be. I mean, where these, where all these guys that you rattled off go, you shouldn't be even. The, the downside shouldn't even really be in your mind at that point for ADP. Right. You shouldn't be at the point where these guys go in drafts. It's the same thing at running back or wide receiver too. You shouldn't try to talk yourselves out of players at that point. You should be looking for things that that pull you in, that make you want that player, not the not the reasons you don't because. Your worst case scenario is you end up streaming tight end or you're picking up one of these guys that are on the waivers and you're just going back to – and a lot of teams are going to be doing this. I mean, if the way right. the tight end is historically played out, we are going to have just – like I said, I gave you the rates, the guys that produce these starting caliber weeks. There's only be a handful of these guys that are wire-to-wire tight end performers, and you're going to be right in the same bucket with a lot of your league mates. So don't be – I don't. I wouldn't be worried about the downside on a lot of these guys. Focus on what you believe is the outcome reason of why you would want to take that player. Uh, as a ceiling, and you hope that that hits. And if not, you recalibrate and you adjust to the right. next guy that you want to talk yourself into. Because <laughs> yes. um, right. I mean, the people downside is sputtering early. And right. people do this all the time, even at other positions too. You know, and it's like, listen, when you look at the, like the historical amount of guys that like actually hit and become like league win tendies, like at that point in the draft, like when we get outside of like the fifth round and beyond, it's like a dark zone, anyways. Like most of these guys are going to be bad players that we are hoping to get in on just the right pockets of production, the the, the, the little pockets of the season where they're really useful. Us, we want to be in on those because wire to wire, you're not going to get these players that are really just linchpins in your lineup. You're just not. They're hard to find, and if anyone believes they can act accurately do it at that point i mean they're they're lying to you uh so i mean <laughs> or themselves <laughs> you should be focused more and i know it's, it sounds like it's just like you know like really like baseline level analysis to say like focus more on the upside at that point it, over the downside but i mean it's really hard to get past like when you say like and you look at the, the downside is what like i just move on to the next thing like yeah I <laughs> <shop my dad>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so i mean it's okay no, no, no. I'm, I'm with you 100 let's let's talk about just a couple guys I want to hit because I don't think we really got there. And I mean, they're one of them is a big name. Um, first, let's just go to Jared Cook. W- where are you at on Jared Cook? Because I sort of soft put him there at the last part of the TE ones because I can't get him off the TE ones. But you know, his his production last year seemed to come in bursts. Um, wh- where are you at with him? Age thirty three, speed guy. Maybe not quite the speed guy he used to be, but obviously the offense is wonderful. Where are you at with Cook? Uh, Cook to me on the surface looks a lot like this year's version of Eric Ebron, just the way he performed last year. And not even when you talk about the, the speed guy, I mean, he led the entire NFL in rate of receptions that went for 20 or more yards, higher rate than McCole Hardman, high, like led the entire NFL in rate of catches that went for 20 plus yards. He led all tight ends with 10.9 yards per target. He also tied Mark Andrews with 11 end zone targets uh, at the tight end position. Uh, that's how you get right. there. Half game in like one game. <laughs> he set career highs everywhere, career highs and touchdowns, yards per catch. Uh, but then when you look at his actual usage is when you run into the problem because right. he had stellar rate stats, stellar these career highs, but 4.6 targets per game. That's 19th at the position. Uh, you know what I, I'm sorry to cut you off. You know what I didn't do with him? I did not look at his splits with Bridgewater breeze and I should have. Uh, I mean, even with breeze, the targets, you know, the targets, yeah, the targets just weren't there. And then you add a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who could probably get some of these targets as well. Uh, so it's really hard from just a, a volume perspective. And Ebron did this, you know, two years ago, that first year with the Colts changing teams, right. like had this, he had a lot of touchdowns, a lot of spike plays, spike weeks. But when you look at his overall volume, it just wasn't there. 
So you, so Cook's the guy that has to live on this hyper. He's going to have to be hyper efficient again. Now there's worse things to do than be hyper efficient in a Saints offense. Right. Um, but you know, Drew Brees set a career high in touchdown rate last year, which is wild to even think that Drew Brees is still setting career highs at this point. Uh, that's probably going to come to have a little bit of reversal. They're a team that probably is going to have a, a larger split in terms of rushing to touchdown. You know, rate seventy five percent of their offensive touchdowns last year were passing. That's bound to have right. some reversion as well. So I mean, he's a guy I haven't been uh, you know getting a lot, uh, but he does slide into a point where I. I don't think there's really any pushback because uh, I think a lot of people have you know been treating him with like from regression stance anyway. So I don't if you do like Jared Cook where he goes, I really don't have any pushback on it. But I do see him more as yeah. like this Ebron. Okay, so where I have him toward sort of like on the fringe starter level, that's about where you have him too, I guess. I have at tight end fourteen. I don't know if it's like. Okay. <laughs> well, I, look, I'm I'm he- one of the reasons I came out with this question to lead is I'm having trouble separating my tight ends really after Gronkowski or after Hunter Henry, maybe, maybe Higby. But I I mean, like I want to push Hooper up, but I have concerns, you know, I want to push Fant up, but as much as I like that offense, I have concerns um, that it comes together quickly for them because there's so much flux there with, you know, a new offensive scheme and all of that stuff. Um, And I'm actually pro Denver. If this was not a COVID year, I would probably be leaning in on Denver because not that many people are, but, um, I mean, they they kept the offensive line coach. There's some continuity there. But anyway. I do um, like seeing it uh, as the guy. Just because his cohorts, his historical cohorts off his rookie season are just so strong that I, it's hard for me to get away from. Uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, he was very rookie George Kittleish. He was just the 10th rookie tight end to have. 500 yards in a season since 2010. The other guys have been Mark Andrews, Evan Ingram, George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski, he's, Aaron Hernandez, Chris he Herndon. He's analogous with Andrews, though, doesn't he? Because he's more—he's almost a pure offensive tight end like Andrews. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a, a lot of yak, uh, you know, b- big-time right. yak guy. Uh, you know, obviously we're worried about Drew Locke and then the added pieces that they have that, you know, probably maybe flatten out a, a target share for him. And then also what we've seen – what was, how Are was you worried about that? What's that? I'm sorry, but you see, I'm man. I'm like, <laughs> you just can't distract me with anything. I'm terrible. But uh, where? D- how do you like Locke? Where are you at with Drew Locke? Oh no, I'm not a I'm not a believer in any level. <laughs> oh my god! See, we can do a whole show on this because I am. But we're, no, we're gonna move on. Sorry. Uh, I Go keep going. No, no, no. But yeah, I mean, but when you look at Pat Shermer and how he used Evan Ingram with the Giants, I mean, Evan Ingram's usage compared to the type of player Evan Ingram is actually does maybe cause a little bit of concern. You know, Evan Ingram was a guy that just ran near tertiary, near the line of scrimmage targets with the Giants and speed outs compared to his rookie year the past two years. Uh, And you got no end zone targets, uh, no depth of target, no downfield targets. And I don't want that to happen to Fant. I would like for that not to happen to him. Um, and I'm hoping that at least makes Ingram, you know, it's funny to believe that Jason Garrett could be an actual offensive upgrade for some players compared to Pat Sherman, but <laughs> me, uh, like, I mean, Ingram's usage compared to the player he was as a prospect, even as a rookie year has just been so night and day the way he's been used as a player. Uh, I'm just excited to finally see him maybe get back to some normalcy of what he was Do coming you- out of all this. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Evan Ingram. I mean, I think he could play X if he wanted to. I'm just, I'm a huge fan. We're, I mean, I, the one thing that is holding me back from just jumping in all in on Ingram, not that I haven't already done it, I've taken him in a bunch of leagues, but the foot surgery, there's some lingering concern because it is in the area of a Liz Frank if it's not a Liz Frank. I guess he had some type of bone pushed back in to 
to almost make that ligament um, not get inflamed and, and what have you. Um, do, do you have any concerns about him coming off the injury? I mean, I guess he he's he's fully cleared. Um, I guess, so at this point, it's really a question of can he play at 100%. Uh, where yeah, you I'm, just, I'm not educated from a, a medical stance enough to have it really impact me. I can only go off of like what people – you know, sure. trying to say from that angle. But I mean, to me, he just, the, the weird problem, part there is that it's like a Liz Frank, but it's not a Liz Frank. That's where I'm getting confused on this thing. Um, <laughs> it is, but it isn't. Uh, but I mean, he just well, falls. Like, what it says. <laughs> he falls into a pocket of ADP where just like he's uh, at that point, I'm one, not taking a tight end for the reasons we talked about. And then, like two, yeah. like the, the, the comparable wide receivers around him are just so strong uh, to where he typically goes. It's really hard. For so me you're to talking about taking him in like the, fifth or the sixth where he typically goes just that you know his ballpark adp is just a really tough spot from one historical tight end stance like i laid out and then two just the surrounding players it's really hard for it's really hard to jump in and his rapport with daniel jones is similar to fans with locks i mean he had a great first game with daniel jones and then was a just right. a nightmare you know uh over the other five games he played with daniel jones so like they didn't have like the clear rapport either um it's not like he lit it up with Daniel Jones got hurt and then like we're building off that sample. Uh, you know, he he had that awesome game against Tampa Bay where he had the ridiculous touchdown, you know, catch and run. Right. Uh, and then, you know, had twenty one catches for 190 yards and one touchdown the other five games. They play he played with Daniel Jones. Um and that part of it like, is Shermer induced as well, and the offensive scheme he was in, the way they used him, like I said, the past the past two years is not the type of player that he actually is, or the type of prospect he was. Uh, so hopefully that does. There's like I said, a course reversion there in this new offense. They use him more downfield. They use him in the end zone again, which he hasn't been at all the last two years. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's, he just falls into an area where I'm just really not looking at his position in general, and I like the receivers around him just so much more that he just doesn't end up on my rosters. I do have him in a lot of dynasty teams, so it's my hedge. Yeah. <laughs> what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've take, I have leaned in on him a couple times, but in my defense, it's been in tight end premium. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Scoring. So let's um, before we just get off these tight ends, can you? I'll, I'll just rip off some names if you hear anybody that you want to. Pimp for upside purposes, as you said. Um, I'll just, you know, stop me if we hit anybody you want to talk about. Hooper, Fant, Herndon, Gasecki, Janu Smith, Ian Thomas, Blake Jarwin, Dallas Goddard, Ebron, Sternberger, Irv Smith, any Trey Burton. Um, any of these guys interest you in terms of like, yeah, I might target that guy late. Yeah, a number of these guys. So, like, when I get into this portion of the draft and I don't have a tight end yet or I'm looking at it just for depth, I mean, when I'm looking at late-round tight end, I'm looking yep. to see if he's that player surrounded by a softer wide uh, receiving unit um, and there's a path for him to kind of become a top two to three target on his team from a team stance. So a lot of a lot of these guys, you know, Gusecki has that in his range of outcomes. Herndon. Ian Thomas and Jarwin are out. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, and, and I like Jarwin, the player, a lot. And I think there's some upside just for being having attachment to that offense. He can run into spike weeks because I believe that offense, right. the passing game in general is going to be good. But he's going to be right. the fifth target uh, on the fifth, the fifth guy in the pecking order most weeks. Absolutely. But, you know, Johnu Smith, Irv Smith, Herndon, Gusecki. Um, then if you want to go way down the rabbit hole, maybe a Devin Asiasi or even like a Sternberger if you can you know, get out of that mold. But like Ian Thomas is a guy I believe in as a talent, but like it's really hard for me to see him being, you know, the top two to three target in that offense. 
So oh gosh, no way. You know, so I mean, yeah, so he's kind of just a guy I don't pursue often. But I said Herndon is a guy I've drafted a ton as ADP. I have I'm way above market on him. Uh, yep. You know, I'm a little bit higher on Gasecki than the market, even though he, you know, I, I just don't really believe in that Gasecki's ever going to be like a hyper efficient player. And I'm worried that I, the one thing I'm worried about the Dolphins guys in general is losing the Fitzmagic war rig um, because yes. he's, he's such a, he's such a fantasy boon for his offenses in general, his hyper aggressive style of play. He, there's a reason why Devonte Parker broke out playing with a quarterback that is a type of Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and he couldn't be unsuccessful with a guy like Ryan Tannehill. Um, and now you know, he's reuniting with a coordinator who believes in him. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know the, the changeover, the inevitable changeover to Tua. Uh, I am interested to see how that impacts the, these Miami players because these guys that can yep. go up and play top shelf football, a uh, Mike Gusecki, a Devontae Parker, like yeah, the, the Fitzmagic War Rig is built for those guys. Like it's it's absolutely built for those guys. So <laughs> I love um, it. Um, so, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, I literally. But I'll read you. Yeah, go ahead. Here's what I wrote in his write up. Just just you know, going along with what you're saying, I wrote Gusecki's. Uh, Gusecki's return this season will returns this season will be heavily tied to QB play. And is there a better QB for a year of pure madness than Fitzmagic? The longer Fitz plays, the better things are for Gusecki. Thing is, Tua is apparently healthy and they have every reason to showcase him um, or even a guy like Rosen in the right circumstances. So that's where I'm worried is that at what point do they not want to have Fitzmagic in there? Um, mm -hmm. And we. When you go to younger quarterbacks, nuanced things like finding your tight end sometimes get lost for a while. Um, well, not even that. Just too the 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 when you're gonna have a rookie quarterback like Tua is. I mean, he mm -hmm. there's a chance he's just not overly overly aggressive like you know Fitzpatrick right. is, which is obviously the what, what has led us to you know all all that sure. that boon anywhere he's gone. You know, when you go back, yeah. even, you know, you go for the Tampa Bay, then you go back to the Jets. I mean, even you know, uh, you know, getting DeAndre Hopkins game with the the six touchdown game he had at the Texans um because when you look at when though when he took who over, got rich on that I think Silva got rich on that didn't he what's that I seem to recall Silva winning money on that one like 20k <laughs> he might have man I mean that was a yeah. I remember being into it too but uh, you look at the the explosion that those guys had they all so Gasecki was tied for the league league among tight ends and targets 20 plus yards downfield and you know um Devontae Parker was first over that stretch of the season. Those deep targets, yep. those aggressive targets. Is Tua just going to be willing to throw jump balls? Like, you know, probably not. Probably not. It's just, you know, he's going to be a rookie quarterback. I think he's more of a rhythm passer anyways. Uh, not a helter-skelter, you know, type of player. Uh, so, I mean, yep. we'll, how will impact those guys? But, I mean, when you lay out, like I said, the argument of, like, the, you look at the Dolphins' depth chart, like, who's challenging Gusecki for targets? He's at worst probably going to be third in targets on that roster. Right. Um, and then the same thing, like you might not love the Titans passing game and the overall value, but like who is challenging, you know, Johnny Smith for targets, who's challenging Irv Smith for targets. Um, so, I mean, it, it just, that's kind of, of the past. Tennessee, we might be dividing up 15 targets, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm with, no, but I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I like Janu a lot. Um, so we're, let, let's stay on Gasecki just for a second. I mean, cause you know, he's, I'm sort of with you here and I, you know, I think when we look at Chan Gailey, he's a guy who will feature one, two, three, probably no more than three guys. Like he's a guy who likes to he he's a coordinator who likes to find players who are working and then hammer those guys. At least that's that's my experience watching him as a coordinator. In that sense, if Kaseki becomes one of those guys, who knows? It could be pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, he goes, he goes, like I said, you know, a lot of people, he hasn't been elevated for the way he finished last season. It's probably because he had a lot of down weeks too over that stretch, even when he popped. Uh, but yeah, I mean, tight end 12, tight end, like we said, we're right in that fringe of the area. We want to take shots on guys. And if he doesn't hit, you just move on uh, to the next guy. But I mean, you're talking about a guy that also, you know, one of those litany of Penn State guys that came out as a super athlete at his position. You know, he can, he definitely has touchdown production in, in his corner if he can get those types he of catches the heck out of it. Right. So, I mean, uh, there's that opportunity, too, uh, for him as well. So, I mean, yeah, he's a guy, like I said, I look to, you know, towards the end there. I mean, obviously, he has his own contingency as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been – Hernan's the, my most drafted player probably easily at the position. Uh, just I've because. got those guys back-to-back, those two guys. So, yeah, I would, mean – Would you move – let me ask you this. You're literally sitting here helping me establish parts of my board. Would you move Hooper down below Gusecki Herndon? I actually wouldn't. I feel like the Hooper like thing yeah. has oscillated too far. I feel like he's like I get like the concerns that you wouldn't have him as you were. He's not going to roll over a top six guy, but I think to have him outside of the top twelve is pretty insane. Uh, okay, so you you keep him locked there as, as a right at the end. Yeah, I mean he's okay. this is a guy that up until George Kittle and Kelsey's recent contract signed a contract to be the highest paid tight end in the NFL is going to a team that we know is going to use him in the passing game as well. Uh, you know, and he's got and he's surrounded by good players that are going to create space for him in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. He's going to have targets. He's going to have no, a lot. he's a good player. Yeah, yeah. And he, they, they don't have a dominant third receiver, right? So, like, just going to what you were saying, he's got a shot to get into that top three. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. He's going to – he's probably at worst – probably their third – he's probably going to at worst going to be third in targets in that passing game. And he's already shown that he plays at his best when surrounded by, you know, good players. He he was productive playing alongside Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu, and was still productive. Uh, you know, is there going to be a passing reduction, you know, playing in this, you know, Kevin Stansky offense? Sure, but it's also an offense that's going to feature him as well a little bit too. Uh, so, I mean, I still think that he has a lot of value, especially in full PPR leagues. I think he, you know, he obviously has a little added value. Um, but I still think like knocking him, I think punishing him too much is what we've seen happening. I've seen him frequently go outside of the top 12, and I think that that's too too far uh, for him. I think he's going to still really have a, I think he's still, he's absolutely going to be like a safer floor guy. All right. I'm not moving him. <laughs> <laughs> let's, um, let's, let's, let's get off the tight ends. This was good. Um how about some running backs who are staying on the board after a hundred for those people who, whether it's intentional or not, get themselves into a situation where they're chasing the position, or maybe we're just talking about smart people who keep taking running backs. Um, <laughs> shots, um, subtle, subtle shots fired. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but like, I'm, like, I'm just sort of looking at fantasy pros ADP and, Marlon Max on the board after 100 players are gone. Um, Tevin Coleman, Lat Murray, gosh, Lat Murray, um, Madison, Antonio Gibson, who I'm not on personally, but the whole planet seems to be on him. I'm a little bit more on Bryce Love. Um, how, how, how are you feeling about all these backs after 100? Boston Scott sitting there at RB49. I don't think that's going to be true next week. Um, You'll probably make a little climb here, I'm sure. But uh, so just look at this. Historically, over the past decade, there have been 23 seasons over the past decade where the RB2 or lower drafted player on his team turned in a a top 12 scoring season uh, that year. Just six of those players have come from a running back that is attached to a lead back that uh, also had a. How many years? How many years did you say? The past decade, the last past 10 years. 
There's been 23 seasons where a guy that's been an RB2 or lower, so RB2, RB3, on his particular team has been an RB1 that season. Just six have come attached to a lead back that was also an RB1 in ADP, so a top 12 player in ADP. This is where handcuffing has really gotten wrong. People think that, you know, these these guys are like league winners. They, they And they could be potentially, but it's never really worked out that way. Uh, you know, these guys typically don't miss as many games as people think, and they don't miss the time. So like the Zeke does. So six of those 23 seasons have come to a back that was a top 12 running back. Uh, and just three of those have come to one of those guys that have just been drafted in the first round. So a first round running okay. back, his back. I mean, two of those were D'Angelo Williams and James Conner for when Le'Veon Bell held out. So two have been attached to Le'Veon Bell. But if you want to look at the other guys now, 16 of those 23 scoring seasons have come to backs um, that have come to the lead back being that has been drafted out of the fourth round or later that season. So if you want to chase a running back two or lower, these guys that we're talking about, you want to target them and guys that are in ambiguous situations or attached to a tenuous starter at best in our minds, in a market that we've set. So, I mean, if you take... It makes sense, right? Because you have more... More than yes. one way to win in that scenario. Yes, a hundred percent. And Sorry, if you just remove, <laughs> no, you're fine. So if you just remove like the guys that absolutely have no shot to be lead backs that are just pass catchers, like Tariq uh, Cohen and, and James White, uh, right. you know that that are attached to these tenuous starters that we are right now drafting their starters as, in the fourth round or later. I mean, you got J.K. Dobbins, Darrell Henderson, uh, on Johnson, Tevin Coleman, uh, Matt Breida. Uh, it used to be Antonio Gibson when it was Geis, but now that Geis is out of the way, he's now the top uh, back that's being leaded. So like Bryce Love would fall into that category now. That's where right. people get like handcuffing wrong and targeting RB two options wrong. It's not these guys that are attached to these high profile situations. Yeah, we seen it last year when Alvin Kamara missed those three weeks. Latavius Murray was an RB1 for those three weeks, but you only got those. Like you, He sat on your roster, you had those three weeks, and then he sat back on your roster, and you got nothing else out of it. But if you want to have a thing about those situations is you get the full swing, right? Yes. These guys that we're talking about, like you have a chance to break out for the full season, not just hit a, a week where a guy becomes – or Alexander Madison's a, 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 a RB1 for one week or two weeks. We want guys – we want to draft RB2s that – can be guys that can play on our lineup all year. And that's, those are the types of RB2s. Those are the types of RB2s you want to target. Guys with some standalone value who could then become a lot more valuable. Yeah, right. That's, that's what you want to target. And you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of guys in your fantasy league are going to say, well, like, I'm just going to leave the Tampa Bay situation alone, or I'll leave the New England situation because I can't figure it out. But those are the, pro- those are the profitable pockets. Those are where you make money. <laughs> those are the, the, pot, the, the spots where you make money. Uh, those are where you get the guys that break out. Uh, because uh, those amb- ambiguity, uh, that's where you get out. It's, everyone wants to draft Chase Edmonds. Everyone wants to draft uh, Tony Pollard. Everyone wants to draft those guys. But your your best case scenario is if only getting a early season injury to Ezekiel Elliott, like where you get multiple like longevity weeks of using Tony Pollard. Right. Running back into, who really hasn't gotten hurt at all. Running into one or two weeks of Tony Pollard is going to be great for those one or two weeks, but he's going to be a paperweight on your roster the whole season because you're never going to cut him. You're also never going to cut this guy because you're going to say, well, the upside is too great. I can't cut him. Uh, so those guys are roster paperweights. You want guys to have a chance to break out of these situations or they're attached to a guy that we already don't believe in. Like we already don't, we're, we're already telling you the spots where we don't believe in. <laughs> and let's just for a second, stop for just for a second, because like when you talk about killing a roster spot, that, that can that can mean a lot of different things depending on what league you're in, how big the rosters you have are, how many teams are in the league, how many bench spots you have. You know, like I, I, I play in a lot of leagues where I wouldn't mind one bit taking Chase Edmonds and sticking him at the end of my roster just because exactly what we're talking mm-hmm. about. But if I'm playing in a, a 10-team league or a 12-team league with that roster's 15 players, 
I can't put Chase Edmonds on the end of my bench. So I don't think I don't think I can. So you know, just you know, for the listening audience, a lot of this really is going to move depending on what your league dynamics are. Yeah, if you've got seven plus, you know, seven eight, you know, bench spots where you know you can take a guy just sitting there and you you don't mind. That's you know that that's a little more possible. He's these short benches, five six bench spots. It's hard to just sit on a guy, especially in what this season you know could be not just from a COVID angle, but you know an increased injury angle. We were talking before the show. Yeah, that's a know, really good point. Chorus of you know fantasy points is put out. You know the last time we had a reduced off season was 2011, and conditioning based injuries that season were up 38. percent So not only do we have this COVID <laughs> stuff floating around to where we can have to pull guys out for COVID related stuff. But we also have to be hypersensitive to just natural injuries being spiked up this year. Uh, you know, hamstrings, quads, yep. stuff like that. And, you know, yep. and, and granted, we've already seen these first three days of padded practices be kind of ominous uh, about these injuries. Yep. We've already seen guys go down. So, I mean, yeah, these, these leagues where you have short benches, it's kind of, it's going to be tough to take those guys on that just don't have standalone value. Um, especially because we might need to turn those roster spots really early in the season. Well, you know what? Let's let's pivot just a little bit here instead of just sort of randomly going after some names who we like. I mean, hell, I'm going to do that for everybody who's listening anyway, um, or at least my people. Um, let's talk about some of these backfields, like the ones you talked about, um, where people are like, "Nah, nah, I'm not going to get involved." Let's let's um, Jacksonville. How about Jacksonville? Um, where are you at personally with Uncle Lenny? And then is there anybody else in this mix who sort of catches your eye? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to really get on board when you just look at from an organizational stance how they've kind of, you know, looked, treated the situation. You know, they, they tried to trade him, didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, yeah. You know, they make the, the, the culture change to Jay Gruden. They're probably going to be a lot more past heavier. They were awful at the end of the season, and it really impacted Fournette, too. Uh, you know, he was just the top 20 scorer in one of his final seven games last year uh, because they were, they were an awful team. They didn't score more than 20 points until week 17 after that trip to London uh, that they made uh, in the midway point of last season when they were, what, 4-4 four and four going into that game, and then they were just horrendous after right. that. They had the, the back half of the season, they had the, the largest point differential um, discrepancy in the NFL, and they look on pace to be that again. They've got the forecast of right. the amount of wins in the NFL uh, by a long shot. Um, I think in a best ball, Chris Thompson is, is interesting, but only in that format, um, only in a best ball format where you don't have to set a lineup and get him right. Uh, you can just kind of take some of the spike weeks that he'll give you while he's on the field. Um, I probably like a Zigbo the most of the backups, but I'm not drafting any of those guys. Um, right. You need Fournette to be out. Like while Fournette's in, he's still going to dominate the rushing downs. Exactly. Um, he's sure. going to suck up all the oxygen. But I mean, he goes in an eight, that ADP dead zone where I said, like, I'm just not, um, I'm not looking at RB2 at that point. You know, historically, just that, that's been another bad spot to take running backs. Um, if you look at just running backs, yeah. what's that? Uh, I mean, well, you you went there, so I'm going to sort of follow you. Um, do you sort of have an overarching approach, regardless of draft position this year? Are, are are you like everybody else? Are you just looking to make sure you get two RBs in the first three rounds, or yeah, two in the first three. two rounds? Sometimes three. Sure, sure absolutely. Um, but so if you just look at so it, you're general, there. Okay. We're, we've been historically really good at setting the running back market. It's, there's a reason why it's called pay to play. Of the 33 running the 33 running backs over the past decade uh, to average 20 or more PPR points per game, 27 of them have been RB1 draft selections, and six only right. six have been taken RB25 or later. We'll do the math. 27 plus six gets us to our 33. That means none of those seasons have come from a running back that was drafted at RB13 through 24 in a fantasy draft. 
pretty much a dead zone. If you take a look at just the 31, 300 point PPR scoring seasons in totality and widen it out, uh, just two have come from running backs in that span that have been taken in the RB2 zone. Not, I'm just not getting involved in the RB2. Derrick Henry, was Derrick Henry like, where was Henry? Yeah, he was close. He was a little bit, uh, uh, he was a little bit under, um, but yeah, he was real close. Um, but even Derrick Henry is another one of these guys. He hits last year. He hits the back half. But did you have front half Derrick Henry? Because front half Derrick Henry did not didn't do a lot for you. Uh, you true. know, I mean, it was it, it was a complete switch. He caught fire the final night his, of the season. Yeah, and his schedule this year could could present some issues um, if you're hoping to just have him fire, you know, like crazy in the first half. Of the yeah, season. I mean, the, the Titans are just a weird, and Henry in general is such a unicorn player, uh, and then the way they play the, offensive the football are so weird. Yeah, just the. A complete separate entity, it feels like, from a separate of the league. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that pocket of running backs has been tough. Uh, so I'm, I'm not really getting involved this year on that tier. I'm not really trying to talk myself into the Love Bells, the Gurleys, the David Johnsons, the Leonard Fournettes. Um, I'm more coming you. back. I'm more coming back. I think the one guy I'm kind of interested in the RB2 group the most is probably Connor, but he comes at red flags too. Um, he He's moving up. I mean, like, yeah. you – yeah, I don't even know. Is he in the RB2 group anymore? Maybe I've seen some drafts where he's mid-second round now. I have him higher in my like personal like outlook than where he goes. That's why I'm interested. He feels yeah, to me a here. lot. He feels a lot to me like last year's Leonard Fournette, where he's in he's discounted in the third round because of injuries and people are kind of sick of him missing yeah. games, but he's got that top five right. upside. We know that they want to run a one-back system if they can. Um, and if and if Ben is healthy and Ben is right, and then, then every all tides are lifted in totality for that offense in general. So he's like the one guy I can kind of you know um, get talk myself into just because I'm higher. Like I'm personally higher on James Conner than I am Josh Jacobs by a good amount. Um, okay. And you know uh, he's the, so he's the one guy I can kind of like talk myself into. But I'm really not getting involved in a lot of these guys like everyone's trying to talk themselves into the bounce back season for uh, the number of those veterans we talked about. I'm coming back. I'm coming back afterwards. I'm hammering wide receiver at that point and coming back uh, to the position more often than not. So you're hoping to get out of the first two rounds with two backs. Yeah, my, some of, yeah, some of the guys people. that I have valued there, but um, I'm hoping to, yeah. Uh, you, you, know, you can't do that always based on draft slot. You know, if you have a front four pick, Sometimes running back is bludgeoned to that point and wider right. first tier wide receivers are gone. And then, then in those opportunities, because I have such a good running back, that's when I'm actually looking to go Kittle Kelsey um, because my first like front wave of wide receivers, like through Tyree kill are probably gone. Uh, my, my do top. Do you think just along what you're saying with, with the Kittle angle there, do you think that the, the receiver situation for Shanahan could allow them, cause them, push them, prod them to maybe target George Kittle a little bit more like some of the other elite tight ends? Or do you think we're stuck in this paradigm where he's blocking 20% more than most elite tight ends? I mean, that's just what he is and what that offense is. He's going to have a lower route per snap rate than a lot of these other tight ends. Right. Um, but in terms of like, he's a beast. but in terms of team <laughs> target share and targets per route, he's among the league leaders every year. And he's oh yeah, he well, no, that's exactly year. where I'm going. So I'm, I'm saying if it were to happen, yeah. he would really pay off. What well, if we just would score some touchdowns for us? We he'd be there. Like if he just would run, if we run into that one season, if you remember too, Kelsey, well, you talked about you were talking about somebody who was it who had a, a couple near misses. Um, oh, it was Higby. Higby. Yeah, Higby. Kittle had a couple near misses and callbacks. But remember, Kelsey had the same problem early in his career. He wasn't a high touchdown scorer early in his career, and we were waiting for that touchdown breakout, and then he had it that first year 
uh, you know, with Mahomes, and you know, that mm-hmm. kind of still lies in the range of outcomes for Kittle. Like he definitely still has potential. Sure. He's such a good distance scorer. He's really good at creating his own touchdowns already. You know, scoring scoring yes. these long touchdowns, which not a lot of tight ends do. Period. So if he can just turn in and, and t- turn in some of these red zone targets into more touchdowns, the ceiling's gonna be open there. I'm not so much concerned about the the blocking rate versus route rate because the targets are still there for him. Uh, right. So it'd, it'd be different sense. if he was, uh, you know, not getting these targets like a Johnny Smith, uh, maybe. But he's still getting, right. it, he's still being a hyperly aggressive target on the routes he runs, like an Andrews is too, in a similar boat. Uh, where Kittle ran, you know, 200 fewer routes to Kelsey last year. But it's e- that's also the easy argument that I think it's still a clear differentiator for Kelsey over Kittle is that he's been first or second in routes run every year over the past four years, and he plays with Patrick Mahomes. It's easy that those are like those are easy separators for me still between Kelsey and Kittle. That's that's how I broke the tie too. So, and like yeah. so, I mean, but I I think when I'm in that draft zone, if I have a front four pick, so I'm obviously getting a, a huge bell call RB one. Then I get there right. and I come up in round two and through Tyree kill is gone for me because uh, my top four are, are, you know, Adams, Thomas, Julio and uh, Tyreek. Those are my top four. If they're gone, which they typically are by that point, And then, right. you know, through Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb are gone at that point too. And I'm just at this point right. where I'm not going to reach on Godwin. I'm not going to reach on DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to say, then that's when it makes sense for me. And I'm looking to go, you know, kill Kelsey. And then come okay, back. Okay, okay. So this isn't right. Now you you made me happy when you said you weren't going to reach on Godwin because I'm very uncomfortable with Godwin there myself. But you scared me a little because I've already reached on Nuke earlier than. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, where now I'm I'm not scared with Nuke. What you're a little Nuke late second round. You're not you're not good with that. Well, I think it's I think he's still being priced up at kind of where like his best outcome comes, and you know that I don't think there's enough downside being thought of. I still have him kind of ranked up there, and he come, his projections come out fine for me as well. Um, but there's still a lot of downside we don't know. Everything took a step back for Nuke last year. Set career lows and a dot. You know That's yards true. per catch. Uh, you know yak. So like, is it th- is this going to be a point where he starts to transition to become more Anquan Boltonish? where he's going to win more with his body, but, you know, and he says that as a trump card, but, you know, we start to see a little bit of the decline start to creep in. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried just there's not enough downside there, like taking that angle on at that, you know, saying like, all right, well, I know he took a step back across the board last year as well and was still really good, but is it the start of a trend uh, in pricing in that downside? Um, but like I said, he does come out really well in my projections. It's such a unique offense. Uh, it's one, it's the most wide receiver centric offense in the NFL. Uh, but I'm curious to see like where, if there's enough downside, you know, in that L, you know, kind of in, because there, I, there's just so many receivers I like that I can come back and say, all right, I know that there's some downside here. And if I miss out on the upside, it's not a huge deal because I know that, you know, wide receiver in itself, uh, there's a large portion of these players that are, are going to produce a higher percentage of, of the wide receiver one points than the RV one points anyways, or the tight end one points. Um, to know that I'm at least not, if I miss out on the best of new Copkins, I still have a chance to make up that ground more than if I miss out on the best of a George Kittle, the best of a Travis Kelsey, or the best of an RB1 uh, at that point. Okay. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, where I took Nuke in the second round, the tight ends are gone because it was a tight end premium. So, um, But then again, there were some other guys <laughs> who were still there. Right, right, right. So, hey, now, that, now we're talking about this, I'm going to have to just, the audience is going to have to just tolerate this for a second because I'm going to, this is some me time, if you don't mind. Um, but in the fishbowl, I just feel like talking about this. I'm sorry. In the fishbowl, I decided to just have a little fun. I took Mahomes in the first round. Tyreek comes back around, gets to me in the second. 
and then I got Hilaire in the third. Oh, nice. Yeah. You went full Chiefs. I mean, you have to do that for the fun, don't you? Yeah. And especially in a large field tournament like that, too, where, you know, listen, I mean, right. you, could, you could easily have a top 20%, you know, 80th percentile team and still, like, you get nothing. Like, it's, you know, you know, right. like, no, no. You, you want to you, you treat it more like a tournament base and you kind of go for more upside. I just think I went for upside, too. I also got Hilaire in the third round of mine. Um, nice. I didn't get the, I didn't I go made the mistake of also adding Damien, which bit me in the. In the backside, but. but yeah, I mean, you have to think about you know trying to stack teams and play for like a singular outcome. Though you want to go a little more, you know, stack heavy, and you even the chief stack, you want to do that in real drafts, anyways, too, if you could do it. Obviously, that's a lot harder to do now with Hilaire, you know, making his jump now post opt out, uh, because now though you well, have three players. Is it harder? What's that? I mean, if it is I, I'm sitting here with things. It's talking about. I mean, if you take Hilaire, I mean, where's Hilaire going right now in most drafts? About 9, yeah. 11 in that? Oh, no, even uh, anywhere anywhere typically from, what, 105 to 109 now? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's – I mean, hey, I can – I understand. But, you're, but you have three um, Chiefs now with the top, with top, you know, 15 ADPs, and so you, it's harder to stack. You might get two. You might only get one. And then you also – the problem in a season-long league, too, is you have to reach on the QB. Um well, that's yeah, that's that's the part about stuff is taking the early. I mean, this it's it's odd. You know, we have QBs right now that make you want to think about doing it, and then we have a QB pool that, that screams don't. You know, it's 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 interesting. I've never seen QB this deep on the back end where there's guys in the twenties where I'm like, yeah, I'll roll with that guy, no problem. Um, maybe it's just me, but I mean, like, I'm high on Bridgewater. And he's not even getting drafted in a lot of leagues. Um, so, I, I mean, I did jump on – who was it? I took Lamar in the fourth in one league because, come on. But other than that, I haven't gone early um, in a single QB league all year. We still can't help it, man. We still try to make that argument every year for last year's QB1. And like, well, this guy's different, right? Like, this guy's different. And it never works. It never works. And we still have a long way to go for QB ADP. It just hasn't – it hasn't moved down far enough as it should have been. It should be. I mean, we still have two guys getting taken in the second round in Gen Pop leagues right now this year. It just hasn't yeah. moved like yeah. it should be. No. <laughs> well, let me ask you this while we're there, real quick. At what point on your board in a typical standard kind of league would you consider taking one of these quarterbacks? Late third, early fourth? Oh, for, Where's yeah. the break? For, I have this fourth rounders, uh, which you'll never get okay. if you follow my if you follow my yeah, board. No, no, no. It's, I mean, I'm late third, so basically the same thing. Yeah, so you're not going to get them, uh, which is a bummer. Right. Uh, and I mean, yeah. my listen, my stuff is definitely adjusted for how I play. Like, if you follow my, I try to rank how I play. So I mean, the QBs are that low. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rank those guys because the industry has those guys there. I mean, they're ranked where I think that even maybe then, I mean, I would still even pause and think in the fourth round. Like, it's definitely probably where I see them as value. But from an opportunity cost stance and a team building stance, especially in this, you know, you know, year where you know taking a onesie position might be non-optimal. Period. Uh, you know, um, so I mean, it's hard for me, and I'm way lower on all the quarterbacks because it's just the way I play and the way I believe the game should be played. And ADP is not just the the way the the way QB score. First of all, we're the worst at setting the QB market. Like correlation from a positional ADP to points per game, we are by far the worst at quarterback than any other position. It's the most tightly linear scoring. The gap means the least too. Having the QB one. Is, is the least would you want to take a guess at to why that as to why that's the case um emotion to, to why we're the worst at it yeah oh i mean for general well one so when you like, say we you're talking about fantasy players right just in general there's us in bulk yeah. i mean you look at uh, the correlation yeah. over the past decade of 
QB draft slot points per game, we are by far the worst. It's not even close. Like, they're not even remotely close. Even way worse than tight right. end. <laughs> they're the most popular players. They're the ones we know their faces. I'm just saying, like, it, it, there's more human emotion involved in drafting QBs, maybe. That's why. Yeah, and I think there's also, there used to be more of a narrative. It's not now. I mean, now that the, the Konami's come through for everyone, but there used to be a narrative of, like, <laughs> You know, there was a disconnect that not all good real life quarterbacks were good fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, I remember playing fantasy, you know, with my father or whatever. He's like, well, this guy's a good quarterback. I'm like, yeah, he's a terrible fantasy quarterback, though. Like, he's not a good fantasy quarterback. Sure, he's a good quarterback. Who cares? That's not how you score. Early career Tom Brady. Um, But, you know, so there's always that. And then also it's just like it provides the least positional edge. I mean, having the QB1 means the least to you. Last year it meant something a little bit more than it has in years past. But historically it's been the least advantageous position. And it's just – But to your point, we we got that – last year we got that. We didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. This year if we want that, we have to pay. Well, even two years in a row, you got Mahomes and Lamar at similar ADPs, right? Or in that, you know, that high QB2 strike zone. Um, The year everybody won with Aaron Rodgers, same thing. And then the, you know, I feel like that's that's a bummer for Kyler Murray, who I love. But I just feel like the expectations for Kyler Murray, because of what Lamar Jackson and and Patrick Mahomes did, have placed his fantasy ADP and fantasy expectations in a realm where it's really hard to get to. Uh, so he's going now. You, you pretty much have to take him in the fifth if you want him now. Yeah, I mean he's going QB three, QB four right. after those guys in the fifth round, and just it's just too lofty. There's too much. He has to have one outcome at that point, and you're paying for it. It's not like even the past two years we you said we didn't pay for those guys even. So now if right. Kyler is as good as Mahomes and Lamar, it is he now you already cut off half. You know you, you drafted him seven rounds ahead of those guys where they went. Let's so. play. Let's play the same game with Kyler we just played with the other guys. Where 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 does Kyler become a guy where you're like I'm doing it? Sixth, um, seventh. I'm trying to see. I, I can tell you, you know exactly where I have him overall. Let me pull this up. That's kind of like a peek behind the curtain. Uh, so I have him, yeah, as my QB six, uh, and I have him at uh, 88th overall in my top 200. Uh, so you're looking so at. So you have Deshaun you know, in front of Kyler. I do. I also, yeah, I have okay. Deshaun. I have Watson as my QB, or uh, Deshaun at four, uh, Dak as QB three, and then Russ. I still yep. have ahead of him as well. Okay. Yep. I mean, I, I think really that, that those guys are a separate tier, um, in general, because those are your running runners and passers, like the guys that can do both. Like, you know, Josh Allen has the Konami, but we've yet to see him provide, like, passing points uh, to count on. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I I think the thing with Allen for me, too, is you never know when that coaching staff is going to decide to pull the reins a little bit and start giving the ball to running backs now near the stripe. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. You never know when they're going to decide he's important. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, that tier of guys that have that upside, like I can, you can make an argument for me. I think any of those guys could be the QB one, given their dual threat ability. Like if you run into a third exactly. passing touchdown season from any of those players, you have the yeah. rushing upside then paired with it uh, to really break. And Murray up. really has the QB acumen to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. he's that good. Yeah, yeah. I just um, that is the thing with Kyler and he is he's such a better quarterback than Josh Allen. Oh yeah, you know he. It's it. I mean, and I mean, really, when it comes to throwing the football, I mean, Lamar doesn't compare to him either. Um, so that's the thing with Kyler for me is he's he's the first guy, including Michael Vick, that I've ever seen where it's like this guy. Yeah, he can run like anybody, but he's gifted. He's truly gifted in terms of decision making as a quarterback, in terms of mechanics, ability to deliver. Um, so I just the one thing about Kyler for me is I want to have. There's definitely a little bit of that, whatever, you know, YOLO um, and, and FOMO, a lot of FOMO. Um, 
just because I think he could be even fifth round. I think he's got league winning potential. I'm not saying I want to like. We also need go to all see in him. On um, draft, we also need. Sorry, to go ahead. That, we also need to see that scheme kind of benefit him though too. You know, you look at last year. No, what what hurt him? What hurt Kyler Murray was the passing last year. Uh, you know, he was fine. He, he gave you that floor rushing, but I mean, he was 26th in yards per pass attempt, 26th in average depth of target, 25th in passing points per game. What hurt him was the scheme, actually, which is funny because we thought it was going to be an elevator. They threw the most weak passes. weapons, too, though, right? They threw, what's that? Uh, weak weapons, though. At least they've upgraded yeah, well, the weapons. They've upgraded one guy. And like you said, is he a falling knife? There's a chance he could be. Uh, um, <laughs> but they threw the most passes behind the line of scrimmage in the NFL last year by far. Like that doesn't help. Right. That doesn't help him at all. Um, we need that to change. You know, we need that. We need the scheme to kind of you know push the ball downfield a little more and do some of those things to unlock his passing ceiling. I think that's the one given. The one given. I think a lot of people have taken on with Kyler is that he's just going to be an awesome passer this year, and he definitely has that in his range of outcomes. But we right. still need to see that jump. The jump has to still get there. Um, but the rushing is there. Like you said, he, if he was, if he did have a season where he was the QB one, I wouldn't blink, but compared to, like you said, the last two years, you've already had, he's already can provide less of a positional edge for you than Mahomes and Lamar Jackson did because you've taken him six rounds higher than those guys went, uh, which is kind of a problem. And it's, you know, it's, it's a bummer that, you know, the expectations have been placed on him to be that player already. Um, because those are high expectations. Those guys set records in fantasy the past two years. To say we're gonna you're gonna get a record setting quarterback again a third year in a row is just a tall task no matter who the player is. No, that's definitely <laughs> true. That's definitely true. He's but he is just so rare in terms of what could happen. I oh, mean, sure. I've never seen a guy who's got both ends of the spectrum, you know, locked up so tight. It's uh, it's exciting. This is good, actually. You might be ironing out some of my emotions here. You might have just kept me from reaching one one time. Um, <laughs> let's let's before we let go of you, and I know we've already gone pretty long here. Um, do you? And I'm doing this. This is something I'm working on today. So once again, I'm just taking advantage of the fact that I've got rich here. Um, the wide receiver pool is it feels different than I've ever seen it before. It's the shape has sort of changed. Uh, do, do you see that too? I mean, the, the, the quality level at wide receiver two is extreme. And, you know, the guys I'm willing to play with go down into the almost to 50. Um, it, it, it just, it feels like we're entering a new era. Is it, is it because there's so many good receivers? Is it because there's, we're spreading the ball around so much that there's more good guys to, you know, to, to come by or, or am I just daft and off my rocker and, seeing this thing on clearly no absolutely combination of all the above i mean we we're seeing more wide receivers play on the field than ever before so like the and we're getting we've had less an influx of like really top shelf like built in a lab wide receiver archetypes you know we have we've had a really True. kind of a until this last past couple of years it, it looks like we have you know a guy like aj brown could fit one fit the mold of like that type of you know julio jones just type of prospect uh but we yeah. but you think about like the, the previous five years you know the guys that have been taken high at the wide receiver position they've been the Corey davis's the amari cooper's the will fuller's uh the john ross's uh even this year that the, the three guys that went highly are all of these like tweener archetypes you know the the cd lamb the jerry Judy. these are guys like 210 pounds uh more crap Craftsmen, you know, types of guys. They're not. The, Let me just go ahead. Is this a place where we see the difference between real football and fantasy? Right. And yeah, the NFL we, guys. 
Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's what's one the NFL working with what they're given. You know, we haven't had right. a lot of those guys uh, right. in that older archetype when we had them funneled in for like a, a a stretch there where we got AJ Green, we got Julio Jones, all those guys came into the right. league. But you know, they're working with what they're given. The DJ Moores of the world, the Amaris, uh, you know, the the. the these these are the, these are what they're given, and they're finding ways to use those guys successfully. And those guys have turned into like great, good fantasy players and really good fantasy right. players. Um, but you know, the alpha wide receiver himself has been kind of a dying breed, uh, and that's also caused the the delta between the wide receiver twos and the wide receiver threes to merge with the wide receiver ones. We're not getting enough separation. Right. You know, we're not getting enough separation between the guys that you know pace the the scoring at the position to the lower tiers, and that's where running backs gone in the other direction. Running back has so makes running back spread makes out. Sense. Yeah, running back right, spread right. out. And that's the perception of the, the everyone has kind of a nebulous, you know, saying wide receivers deep and what it means to them, but that's how the perception has gotten created. Um, is that they're just uh, more wide receivers producing a certain percentage of the wide receiver one scoring that's uh, completely usable compared to the running back position. There's nothing worse you can have in your fantasy lineup compared to all positions than average running back play. It's by far the most useless, useless thing you can have. And the baseline running back production is is by far the worst thing you could have. Whereas why baseline wide receiver production is the best. Like it's 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 that's why we have that, that perception of wide receivers deep. There are just a number of usable guys there that are at least producing in a ballpark of the wide receiver one compared to these other positions. And running backs the worst. That's why you see running backs flying off the board and people trying to chase running backs and trying to get it because average running back play is the worst thing you can have in your lineup. It's the worst. It, it provides. It, it's it's absolutely the worst thing. Is this a reason, or is this the reason that so many people are running away from zero RB right now? Um. Yeah, but that's funny. It's the reason why everyone went to zero RB in the first place. Uh, is because okay. Thank you. This, <laughs> you you button hooked me. That's exactly where I was going to go. I'm not a real big zero RB drafter, but it seems to me it's like, man, if nobody in my league is doing it, it might make sense to do it. Yeah, I mean, part of the understanding was that of zero RB was the part of the running back component that like understanding average running back play was terrible for your lineup. So when people are taking these, uh, you know, elevating these RB2s, these RB3s over these wide receivers that are one more projectable, they're more projectable, they're safer picks, and they score more fantasy points than these running backs. So maybe uh, like a, a modified zero RB approach maybe could work if you get that elite runner in the first round and then don't reach for mid-level runners based on scarcity, load up on wide receiver ones, and then win the mid-round RB game, and suddenly you've got a super team on your hands. Yeah, that was largely the, you know, a large the part of the component of zero RB was understanding that these average running back points were terrible for your lineup, and everyone was elevating them because they wanted to draft running backs. And we're seeing that happen again uh, this year. Yes. Uh, so yeah. I mean, it's, so it's definitely that pocket. And the, you know, I said, I'm, I'm really, I've gone more anchor our, uh, running back approach just based on, you know, draft slots I've had anyways, have kind of forced me uh -huh. to go that way. Um, but even the guys that are the biggest zero RB, like honks, even like a Sean Siegel, like he understands the right. value of, of like what one of these locked in guys can be. And that's why you'll see him take, a, you know, he would, the year he won the, the the big championship, he won. He had Jamal Charles on that roster because he understands the value right. of that player as well. But what he understands is that these is elevating these average running backs, these guys that don't really hit for RB ones. They don't provide that edge because we talk about it. there's nothing worse in your lineup than average running back points. They're terrible. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people who've been reading my site for for years, the you know the cults, the cultists, the regulars, um, you know, we went through a phase here where everybody was saying stop taking running backs in the first round. I mean, people were saying that, and you know, our our 
the position in Rotobom is always clear. It's like, just understand which ones are viable in the first round. Go running back, go receiver. But if you go running back, you don't draft the next guy up. You draft bell cows. And once the bell cows are gone, you move on to something else. We, you know, it, it just seems now we do have more guys that are, maybe they're not bell cows, but they've got enough proven role and the offenses are good where people are willing to roll with them in the first round. It, it, it's I, I guess the shift to more guys catching more passes is is part of the reason. Like you don't have to be that twenty two carry a week running back anymore to score big because a lot of these guys are catching five passes and putting up points in other ways and PPR scoring. Um, I'm starting to get into word salad and rambling here. Am I making a point? <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, you know, obviously too. I mean, the, a part of the reason too, like that, uh, you know, I think the, the moniker zero RB is what most people have an issue with. I think the moniker of it, which obviously turned into great branding because yeah, it's, much it's sort of like running backs don't matter. It's, <laughs> yeah. 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 The moniker more than, more than the theory. But I mean, you know, part of the thing was that you're taking these players, uh, you're allocating the majority of your tangible draft capital in the position that one requires the most resources, uh, which is wide receiver. Most leagues are start three now. And if you have flexes, it means you have to allocate the most resources. You're going to have busts, you're going to have buys, you're going to have injuries. Uh, and that's kind of like, in turn, you're trying to create a roster strength, which is an approach I've never had a problem with. And I've talked about this in drafts, whether you want to do robust running back, wide receiver heavy, anchor, whatever, is that because yep. so many people try to win their draft the emphasis on winning your draft is, is such an overstated commodity uh not to say your draft is unimportant it is but t- through the course of the season for you to get to the end of the season and to still be playing the players you thought you would one be playing when you drafted this team or even have them rostered you're, you're going to be lucky to have 50 to 60 percent of your roster intact that you drafted um right and you know so i mean the the notion of winning your draft is overstated from that so typically players that draft try to draft balanced teams actually hurt themselves because they end up creating thinner ice, you know, more weak points on their roster. Yeah. Well, it's like, how did you get to that balance? Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you drafted a balanced team because, well, I need another running back here. That's where you're stepping in it. Right. Absolutely. Like if, if you, right. I mean, if you're balanced because you ended up balanced, that's fine. Um, And I guess it really comes down, like you said, winning a draft, what does it mean? Maybe what does winning a draft actually mean? It doesn't mean having the 20, well, I draft a lot of 20 round leagues, but it doesn't mean having the 18, 16, 20 picks that graded out the best. It means having the team that's going to function the best and score the best over the rough and tumble of 16 weeks, right? So like, that's the thing. Like, it, it, okay, fine. Every single pick I made graded out well against ADP yeah, cool. or against my projections. <laughs> but but is my team going to function, right? Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's the thing we, we, we talk about there. I mean, you're, you're, we're going to have every fantasy season has maybe three to five players that are really good from week one to week 17. That's it. Right. The rest of these guys, we're just going to be hoping to be in, in the right pockets of production and understanding like what, what being in, in the right spots, whether that be the front half of the season, uh, with a guy like Cooper cup and then being out the second half, you know, when he's hurting you, uh, you know, different things like that. It all goes in so much goes into <laughs> Uh, a fantasy season outside of the guy that was the RB one, the wide receiver one, the QB one, the tight end one, the rest of those guys after that are all like a hodgepodge of volatility. Like it's always like that. And it's, so you have to be in on those right pockets. It doesn't mean as much saying like, why the RB nine? Well, cool. Like, well, what, the R- what did the RB nine? You're saying something more about the RB nine than you are the player that was the RB nine. Uh, a lot I mean, of the time. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, like, you know, people focus too much, place an emphasis on winning the draft. 
He was the tight end eight. <laughs> yeah, so draft teams like, maybe don't grade out as well. Like you said, you're not you're not trying you're trying to draft a team's for functionality, and that was always I think one of the misrepresented parts of a f- thing like zero RB is you're taking this position that you have to have the most roster allocation to just because you start the most players, and then if there's flexes, like I said, you got buys, you get injuries, you're ca- accounting for all these things. So you're trying to make a roster strength, and also at the same time you're creating a roster weakness for in, you know, inherently for the rest of your drafters in your league. Um, I, I always feel the best about my teams when I know it, it, it's exactly pinpointing what my weakness is of that roster coming this season, knowing where I have to calibrate. It's like I said, when you have these more yeah. balanced teams and like you have the opportunity for more things to go wrong. Oh, now I need a wide receiver three and an RB two. It makes it a lot harder. If I just need an RB two, then I've got more options. I've, I know exactly what I need to do, how I need to use my fab, how I need to approach trades and so on and so forth. Um, whereas, you know, if you start getting leaks in the foundation everywhere and you start to plug multiple holes, it gets a lot harder to manage your roster, your bench, you know, trades, you know, free agency, all those other things. So, I mean, I always respected that element of zero RB was understanding you're creating a positional strength, which is actually advantageous to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like what, what we were just talking about. You, 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 you say you draft a position, you know, you draft a label, a position early and it's a reach because you're trying to stay in balance or fill in a slot. And then you're sort of, you're chasing that reach the rest of the draft. You know, it, it, uh, one thing I always sort of tell folks when I post my draft plan is the longer you can be making what I like to call heavy picks into a draft, the better. You know, if, if people are reaching in the sixth, seventh, and eighth, and you're sitting there making good, heavy picks that you love, that's a really good sign that you're doing well. And it's one of the reasons, one of the other reasons to keep positions like quarterback and tight end open as long as you can, mm-hmm. because if, if you take your quarterback early and then some dream quarterback comes to you in the eighth round, well, guess what? You're not going to be able to take him. And the same thing works with tight end. Now, if you've been taking the positions of scarcity, if you've been banging out running backs and receivers and getting good ones with all your picks, and now you still have tight end and receiver open when other people are now reaching for stuff, that's a really good feeling. So, you know, it, it, it really does make a difference when you don't start making process picks in the middle of a draft. Um, am I speaking English here? Are are you understanding? Absolutely, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and, but, and it goes to what you were saying. It's not, there's so many different ways you can do this and win, but there are some really obvious ways that lots of people take to losing and it's, it's reaching too soon. It's, I mean, we all know, I think one thing we've sort of beaten out of people over the last 10 years, I think as the fantasy industry has become sort of pervasive is getting emotion out of your process. I think people are less emotional about fantasy now than they were back when I started playing, but it's still an important thing, you know, like, you know, don't pick your hometown guys. Don't avoid players because they hurt you last year. Don't, don't, don't take a healthy player because he's had an injury in the past. If he's healthy now, look at him as healthy, you know, just getting, you know, getting your butt hurtedness, getting your emotion, getting your, your, you know, your, your fan friendly whole thing, getting all of that out of the mix is, is hugely advantageous. Um, and then also getting emotional in a draft, right. Getting emotional about what you might've done. So, um, I, I avoid taking running back in the second round because I'm in love with the receiver. And then all the running backs that I thought I was going to get in the third, get chewed up. And now I'm reaching on running backs in the fourth and the fifth to try to fix the problem I've created. That's, to me, that's an emotional draft mm-hmm. that you cause by taking a risk. Now, maybe the risk was a risk worth taking, but when it doesn't go your way, you got to bite the bullet and keep being smart. 
You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, there's this. That's a you know nice little top down view of you know fantasy drafting and approaching your drafts as everyone gets into these. You know, the, the hopefully their draft seasons in person or on Zoom or wherever they're yeah, doing hopefully. them. Uh, you know, hey, we're in draft season now, Rich. Draft season's going to happen. The season we don't know, but the draft season I think we've got. Like, I mean, they're going to start to. We're not moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 they are. Um, and you know what? Let's not even go down that road. We're just going to stay positive. There's no reason to go down that road right now. Um, before I let you go, and thank you so much for the time, as always. Is there anything? And the uh, just a straight no is a totally cool answer to this question. Is there anything revolving the COVID that you are taking into draft rooms with you that's affecting your strategy, your tactics, your process? To be honest, that we did a podcast on this as well, and we kind of both, me and uh, my buddy Chad Scott, came to the conclusion that not really. <laughs> I mean, not really, okay, yeah. uh, because everyone's yeah. in the same boat. Like we're all the league's going to be dealing with the same stuff. Um, you know, and, and it's just, there's too much unknown. I don't think anyone trying to predict this and what's going to happen, uh, this season in any football season in general, even outside of this one, which is a chance to be more crazy, just really knows. So I think it's one of these things, like if you're better at calibration and adjusting to the things that are happening, that is how it'll be advantage to you. If you're someone that can get on these, you know, micro trends ahead of time and not have to have them smack you in the face before you adjust, um, you know, that, that still is going to be the most pivotal thing. Uh, into outcome, you know, shaping up your fantasy season. So I am not even really speculative on how all the stuff's going to go. I'm going to just try to be one of those people that is open to adjusting and and being willing to uh, adjust as it, as it happens this year. There you go. And, and just to tack onto what you just said, the the one change that I'm sort of looking that I'm probably going to make is that I tend to be a very aggressive fab person after week one, week two, like in that that first shot at free agency after games have been played, those first two weeks, I tend to be really aggressive. I'm thinking I might put a little bit put put a little bit of money in the lockbox this year. Yeah, that's, I don't. Mind that's it. the one thing I, think I would is. say for sure. If I could recommend one league setting to change for this period, is to get rid oh, of. Uh, we're going to Adam Hardstad, aren't we? Yeah, uh, is to absolutely get rid of uh, first come first serve waivers at any junction of your uh, season. Have daily waivers uh, because yep. you don't Great want you, during this season if something were to happen, you don't want the league to shift just because a guy was on his computer when it happened. Uh, you know, the, no, he, no, absolutely. He benefited from being the first to the computer uh, or the first on his phone or the first to the right. news. And this year it could be every week. And I would say <laughs> I would really encourage a lot of leagues if they're going to do something to run daily waivers. No, that's uh, most my, the leagues I run do. So you, you can allow uh, zero bids. Allowing zero bids is fine. It's not like a thing where people have to drain their fab. You allow zero oh, bids yeah, for sure. But you make sure that yeah. you, you really make sure that your league isn't just geared towards like something happening that could alter your league just because a guy was on the computer first. Yeah, no, no, no. Or yeah. Or just the guy who happens to work, you know, I mean, guys who work like out in the world, you know, like, or some guy who just sits at his desk reloading Roto world all day. That's not <laughs> fair. Um, and, or somebody, yeah, like basically I would win all the free agency and all my leagues. Cause I just live on social media. Everybody would be like, this is just not fair. Um, <laughs> Where I was going with the Adam Hardstead thing was actually he's he's a big proponent and I think it's a good idea for this year. Um, now I'm I'm tech challenged, so I don't know exactly how to set it up, but he's he's 
advocating for like positional lineups. So like if you're Thursday, you know, if, if, if you have a guy playing Thursday and a guy going Sunday and then your Sunday guy gets COVID on Saturday, you can have a contingency where your Thursday guy could, you can get the points for your Thursday guy, that kind of thing. Um, now I don't know. I think I'm not sure which sites actually allow for this type of stuff. Well, I would say almost like all it would just have to be commissioner based where the commissioner would go in. Yeah, and my God, I was, I was praying you weren't going to say that. Yeah. I mean, it's another job for commissioner, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an easy, easy to do if you want to institute it. Uh, but I think that, yeah, I guess it would happen. In, it would probably happen infrequently enough where it wouldn't be too much of a, a bad gig for a commissioner. Yeah. I think it too. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have said before the show, and I don't want us to go down this other road too. I actually think the biggest concern for this season is not going to be as many players go on COVID IR. It's going to be how many players actually go on real IR. Because uh, I'm worried right. about I'm worried about real injuries being heightened this year. Uh, with right, and that's probably an August September kind of problem. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so I think that commissioners could handle that one um, if you want to institute that. I am not. I don't. I don't disagree with that rule at all. Yeah. Well, you, you probably know it's dangerous to disagree with Adam. Um, <laughs> just, just in general, um, you better have some time on your hands if you're going to do it. Uh, anyway, he's an amazing follow for anybody not following uh, Adam Hardstack. Um, works for football guys. Smart dude. Um, so, Rich, we've already done. Oh, boy. We went. Man, why do I even say we're going to do an hour? Um, <laughs> thanks for not once mentioning we've gone over time. Um, thanks for making time to come on my, uh, my middle of nowhere podcast. Really appreciate it. And, um, and thanks for being like one of those people, man, you know, our industry is getting a little bit more competitive because there's all these outlets opening up. Um, but you're one of those great people who's always got a good disposition, always looking to share, always looking to contribute. Um, thank you. I listen. I appreciate it. Too kind. Uh, you didn't have to, uh, but much appreciated. Uh, I try. I try at least. You know, I don't, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be, and I know some people. It's easy to, to like, kind of fall away and not be in like the forefront of people's minds. We're just not tweeting all the time. It's easy in 2020. I'll tell you uh, that but yeah, definitely have scaled back my Twitter use, and then with all the kids home and everything, uh, it's 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 altered. You know how much I'm on social media, anyways. But I always like to come on these shows and talk with you guys. One talking about football is fun, and then. Uh, you know, obviously like to, to provide a platform and try to at least use the small brand I have to help some of you guys uh, get, get your name out there. Very much appreciated, my friend. Very much appreciated. Can't wait to get you back. I'm not going to sit here and bother you if the season is rolling along and you're busy, but if things get ugly, maybe we'll bring you in for a whiskey pot or something like that. Beautiful. Um, but anyway. And you can make fun of me. Onward. Whiskey can have it at me again. No, 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 no. No, I'm actually a huge believer that it, here's the thing. Like I approach whiskey the same way I approach fantasy, right? So like if I'm going to have well, let's call it bell cow whiskey, the only way to do that is to have plenty of late round value on my shelf cuz <laughs> I can't afford to drink the good stuff all day long. So right. yeah, you, you, you got you get, in, unless unless you're Al Smizzle, unless you drop the Millie, um, you, you need to have mid shelf around. Otherwise, you're just going to get broke. Um, <laughs> anyway, man. Awesome. We listen when you come on. We'll drink Jack Daniels. I don't care. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so until that time, um, that's going to do it for the Rotobond Pod, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time.